I hope all of you will watch NBC uh, KTAL tonight. Uh, we were glad that they uh, came out to uh, participate and to see the uh, Dixie, original Dixieland jazz band that was uh, playing because I think it's a, a great story. Uh, and it's been great to see them come together and to know that they're out uh, making music for others, especially in places like Lake Providence and especially in the rain. Uh, there's a great picture of them out playing, uh, just barely covered, but they're playing in the rain and uh, having a great time and making uh, beautiful music even in, in dreary weather. Uh, one of the things that uh, happened this past week, just as we were trying to get the word out about our service, I had a phone call uh, from someone at uh, KTAL, and they were asking me some questions about the original Dixieland music. And I said, well, uh, I really can't describe it. I'm not a musician. I just know it's really good. And I was trying to think of some ways to describe it. And the uh, reporter who's here uh, is uh, from New Jersey, and so Louisiana is kind of a new thing for her as well, and so I was wanting to try to do my best, and uh, I just said, well, why don't, why don't y'all come out on Sunday, and, and they had already planned to do that, and uh, I said, that's, that's the best way. You could talk to Bill Allen, and Bill can give you all the, uh, the exact descriptions of what this genre of music is all about, but it, uh, it was a little bit trying there for a moment to think of how to describe it. As we're talking about church here in the last uh, several weeks, and what does church mean, and what does it mean to, to really be a part of a church, uh, the scripture that we have here this morning, particularly the one that was just read from Romans chapter 12, describes for us what church is all about. Sometimes we wonder, what is church, and what makes church different from any other organization? And we've talked about that a lot here at Church for the Highlands because we do so many partnerships in the neighborhood. There are more nonprofits located in Highland than anywhere else in the city. And we see that as a plus. It's a great thing uh, because there are people in need all around us here at the Highland Center, but certainly all throughout the community. And we all love to collaborate and do things together. But what is it that would make us different from another nonprofit? Well, one of the things that we've talked about from day one is that, yes, even though we collaborate and partner with others, we strive to make sure that we don't forget what makes us unique and distinct, not necessarily from other churches, but from another 501c3. And that is that we are a faith organization and we have a particular focus on the work that we do is out of our awareness of the love that God has for us. We are sharing the love and sharing the good news of Jesus with the world around us. And there are several ways that we could describe um, to get really exact and describe our church and our work. But Paul gives us some good words to do that with this morning, and I want to recommend them to you. The text that we had was Romans chapter 12, and I forgot to put a 1 in front of the... or I put a 1 in front of the 9, and it's supposed to be verses 9 through 21. And I want to read to you the rest of these because it really fills in for us a lot of characteristics about the church. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. 
And this is a group of Christians who are being tried in every way. Some are being tried literally uh, as the uh, Roman officials are coming and taking them away and persecuting them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They are following a Messiah, a risen Savior, who is uh, a contradiction to Roman government and to the worship of Caesar. And they are saying, you can't do this any longer. And they are beginning to question their faith. And they're wondering what it means to really be a follower of Jesus. And probably wondering what it means to be a member of a church that follows Jesus in this way. It's dangerous business. And just like with us in our human relationships, there are challenges, there are probably people who are dancing on the last nerves of one another during the stress and all of the pressure that is there for them. And so Paul says some very practical things to them. He says, "...let love be genuine." Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of all the saints. And that's not New Orleans saints, by the way. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. And then the rest of the passage that you heard read earlier about how to deal with your enemies. These are all very practical tips that Paul is giving to the church. He has just finished a long, long uh, part of his letter that is deeply theological. And out of that, he is getting very specific. For the rest of his letter, the rest of Romans is all very specific. And as we look at this, we find that there are three key words that we could use to describe church. Not just church in general, but we would want to describe our church here today at Church for the Highlands. And the first one is the best one, I think. It is love. Paul is talking about love. And he says it's not just love that is to describe you as a church. It is to be genuine love. Which leads us to think Paul is aware that there are various kinds of love. There is that kind of love that's very conditional. Where people who are a part of an organization will say, you know, I I love my church. I love my organization. We don't have a bumper sticker that says, I love Church for the Highlands. But maybe we ought to get one, right? So that we could remember that. But love is not something that is superficial. It is not something that is to be based on what you could do for someone else or what they could do for you. Love is to be genuine. And the word he uses here is really a word that means sincere. It is to be a real, authentic kind of love. So Paul boils all of his weighty theology down to really just one word. Love. Paul knew that this was a challenge for them. He writes about uh, not hating one another, and he's writing about the enemies of the church, the people in Rome, 
But he's also, I, I think, writing about their relationships inside of the church. Is it that hard to believe that people in a church could hate one another? Well, maybe you've been in a church where that's been the case. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but certainly that is a reality. And so Paul realizes it's a reality in that church. He's keeping up with all of the the churches that he has traveled to, or like this one, not yet traveled to, but he is wanting to keep up with them to know how they're doing with this gospel that they have heard and that they have received into their lives. And so he writes all of this to remind them about what it means to uh, become a follower of Jesus and what it means to be justified by faith and all of this great theology that just comes comes to a point. Love. Be sure to love one another. Otherwise, your theology doesn't mean much at all. You can say you believe all of this stuff about God, but if you don't love one another, and we can remember 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, even if I have all of this other stuff, hope and faith, if I have not love, I have nothing. We need to think about that in our own lives as well. And we need to understand what that means in the life of the church. Uh, Madeline Lingle is a a great uh, author, was a great author. Still, her writings are, are wonderful. I believe she died in maybe 2007. And uh, her uh, son-in-law, Alan Jones, uh, told her a story about a Hasidic rabbi. And this rabbi is renowned for his piety. He was unexpectedly confronted, she says, uh, one day by one of his devoted youthful disciples. In a burst of feeling, the young disciple exclaimed, My Master, I love you! Just like all of you do with me, right? My pastor, I love you. The ancient teacher looked up from his books and asked his fervent disciple, Do you know what hurts me, my son? The young man was puzzled. Composing himself, he stuttered, I I don't understand your question, Rabbi. I am trying to tell you how much you mean to me. And you confuse me with irrelevant questions. My question is neither confusing nor irrelevant, rejoined the Rabbi. For if you do not know what hurts me, how can you truly love me? I think that has great application for the church, does it not? Isn't love really all about us knowing each other? That we want to know each other, we want to be known by each other, we want to experience love in this world. And I think that is really getting at the root of what Paul is writing to his church. And it gets to the root of who we are here today as we sit here in this chapel. We are to have love as a characteristic, the key and foundational characteristic for who we are as a church. All of our theological statements, all of our Bible study, all of our uh, beliefs could be summarized in one word, love. When people talk about church for the highlands... They ought to be able to say, well, I don't know too much about them. I mean, they have this original Dixieland jazz band and it's great and they have all these great things they do in the community. 
But one thing I do know is that they love one another with a real and genuine love. Isn't the world just dying to see that kind of love? But isn't the world very suspicious that churches uh, really don't have that kind of love? And when they hear us talk about love, but they're not seeing it in action? Maybe they see a little bit of the action outside in a community where churches do church kinds of, kinds of things, where they, they love the world with gifts of charity and things of that nature, but they see inside of the church that people are tearing one another apart. It happens. Not just within one particular church, but the church universal. And what a shame that is because... That's not how the church is to be described. It is to be a place of love. But there's a second word that Paul uses or something he is getting at here in Romans chapter 12 and that is care. He describes the church as a church that is to care for one another. And I love the way he says this. Love one another with mutual affection. Think about that just for a moment of what that looks like and how you tangibly could love someone with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wouldn't it be great if we had a contest on who could, who could outdo uh, each other with honor in the church? Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. In other words, be as creative as you possibly can in caring for one another. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering and persevere. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Have this care be at the very center of who you are and of what you do. And what a challenge that is for for us as a church as well. Because we get so busy with our lives and with our activities. And we forget what it means to be in a church where we care for one another. Eugene Peterson was writing about his wife Jan. And he is writing... Uh, about her feelings about what it means to be a pastor's wife. Um, And these are positive, by the way. Jenny says she's going to write a book one day about this, but uh, writing about what it means to be a pastor's wife. And uh, Craig Larson, who is the uh, editor of Leadership Journal, he was writing about this. He read it. He says, as I read Peterson's words, I was struck with how apt the description was not only for pastors' wives, but for all Christians as they enter fully into the life of the body of Christ. He says, so I would like to modify Peterson's words slightly and substitute church member for pastor's wife. He says, uh, he reads her words this way, being a church member is a vocation, a way of life. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality living at the intersection of human need and God's grace, inhabiting a community where men and women who don't fit are welcomed, where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told and people have no stories find that they, have, they, that they do have stories. Stories that are a part of the Jesus story. Being a church member places us strategically yet unobtrusively at a heavily trafficked intersection between heaven and earth. 
Now that's a great description of care in a church. It means that we are showing mutual affection for one another. How do we do that practically here at Church for the Highlands? But we have all kinds of ways that we can do that uh, just in any given week. I I know uh, Charlene Kelly is great about uh, remembering people's birthdays. And uh, maybe if you have uh, had a birthday recently, you got a birthday card in the mail with a a bunch of uh, signatures on it, maybe even people you don't know, wishing you a happy birthday. If you didn't get one, we need to get your birthday so that she can harass you and be sure that you get a card. That's just one simple way where we show mutual affection for one another. Maybe it's opening the door for someone like our ushers do or handing them a bulletin and a smile as they walk in the door. Maybe it's calling someone when you know that they're not here. You haven't seen them in a couple of weeks to check on them to see how they're doing. Maybe it's visiting someone in the hospital when you know that they are not doing well. There are lots of ways that we can show this affection and we need to never take it for granted or just think that it's happening. Make sure that you are showing affection to other people. But it's also honoring one another. We do this in a lot of different ways as well. And we need to do it a whole lot more than we do. But to show honor. To put other people's needs above your own. That's not always easy to do, is it? We live in a world where church is all about consumerism. Where we are programmed. This has really been true over the past 20 years in church life. Where when we come to church, it's about us. Right? It's about what I can get. It's about my blessing. It's about things that the church could do for me. But what about doing for others? What about not worrying about yourself, but seeking how you can honor someone else that's sitting next to you or in your Bible study class or who is on a team that you're serving with? Showing honor to one another. But also, I think one of the the best ways that we can do this is by identifying with one another. And as Paul talks about, when someone is hurting, we hurt with them. When someone is in tears, we are in tears with them. We've had a lot of situations and circumstances in the life of our church where we have had tears, have we not? We were just talking about uh, planning our uh, bereavement service that we have uh, on All Souls Sunday right after um, the 31st of October where we put candles all in the altar and we come and we light a candle and say the name of a loved one who has died whether it's in the past year or long ago. And we remember them. But there are so many stories of grief and hurt and sorrow right here in our church family. But there are all kinds of reasons that you have to cry as you struggle with life, as you go through changes with jobs, as you deal with financial struggles and problems, and as you hurt for other people in this community. But there are also opportunities for us to laugh. I think we laugh more than any other church. We laugh at each other. We laugh at things that just happen, things that are a part of life, and we chuckle and we get through those times and we love the joy that we have here in the church. But we identify with one another. We care 
for one another. One of the ways that we seek to do this as we begin a brand new church year is in these care groups that I have mentioned earlier. And it would be a goal of our church to have everyone in a care group. And we're going to have a sign-up sheet at the back as we begin our care groups on October the, or September the 3rd, coming up this Wednesday. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for one, and you'll learn a little bit more about what that means. But it, it means that our church is growing large enough to where we can't know what is going on with everyone at any given time. I sure can't. And I depend on others, our elders and others, to be able to help with that. But you can help with that as well as you learn the needs of other people. You can pray for them and encourage them and help them along. So we care for one another. But a third and a final word that Paul gives us here is harmony. That's a great word. I was in a children's or youth choir growing up and it was one of those uh, quartets where we were supposed to sing in harmony. And um, my parents made me do it. I was one of those that never could do that. They finally, uh, you know, just helped me find another group to be a part of in church. But I remember just that word harmony. It just brings, uh, you know, a negative image in my mind because I couldn't do it. But when you hear it done, and you hear it done well, it's the most beautiful sound in the world, isn't it? Paul is writing about the church. He says, live in harmony with one another. Uh, do not be haughty. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And he goes on to talk about living peaceably with all. So Paul says, be sure that you do whatever you can to live in harmony with one another. Our church ought to be characterized by its harmony. Are we? Well, I believe we are. We haven't, we haven't been here long enough to have serious disharmony. We've, we're coming up on four years and I'm so thankful that we have never had a situation where that has been an issue. And I pray to God that that continues. But it will continue only as we allow this Word of God to uh, get inside of us deeply to where we never forget the importance of living in harmony with one another. One of the ways we do this is by treating each other equally. And this has been an issue. I don't think we've, we've had any problems with this. We are a church of diversity, right? Would you say amen to that? <laughs> we celebrate our diversity. It's a great thing. But we say we have, as I describe our church, my old elevator speech is that we are black, we are white, we are red, we are blue, we are gay, we are straight, we are... Um, what else are we? Young, we are old. We are traditional, we are non-traditional. We have all kinds of diversity right here in our church. And we celebrate that. We believe that is just a slice of heaven. But when someone walks in the door who doesn't look like we do, who doesn't smell like we do, who does not have the same values that we do, what do we think about them? How do we treat them? Well, we will have harmony if we treat them equally, as we treat everybody else in the church. We don't have reserved pews, although some of you are working on it, right? <laughs> but I think if someone were to walk in, and I've seen this happen in a church, and said, uh, excuse me, you're in my pew. 
That has happened. I have witnessed it. You would be able to say, look, I'm glad you're sitting there. Welcome. Welcome to Church for the Highlands today. We're glad you're here. And you would go find your seat somewhere else. Treat one another equally. But we also put others first. And we strive for peace. We make every effort, as Paul says, to live at peace with one another. That puts the onus upon you. You are to do whatever you can do to live peaceably with other people right here in the church. I went to lunch this past week with a friend of mine I haven't seen in like 20-something years. He is a priest here with... uh, Uh, the uh, Church of the Nativity, which is an Orthodox Church of America. Uh, I think there are three Orthodox churches here in town, and uh, this is one where they uh, do their liturgy in English, but they are connected in with the larger uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, and Greek Orthodox churches. And he was telling me a little bit about their worship service, and he said that when uh, the only real difference is that they do speak English in their service rather than Greek uh, or Russian or another language, and they do not sing in the uh, uh, Byzantine chants. They sing in English, and the way they do that is with four-part harmony. And I was thinking that would be great to visit his church sometime to hear that. Because again, there is nothing more beautiful than when people are singing in harmony with one another. And I believe that's the way that the church is to exist. And it will be so beautiful to the world and the community around the church when they hear us doing that. So back to these words that describe jazz. The best way to describe and get an understanding of what Dixieland jazz is all about is to attend the service. You experience it. And I think the best way to experience or the best way to understand what church is all about is not just to hear the characteristics, but to experience it. May you experience it as you go into your week. And may others see it as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You are right here with us in our very midst. That You continue to take these words of Scripture and You seek to apply them to our lives by the care of Your Holy Spirit. May they take root deep within us today. And may they bear fruit as we live our lives out in the context of our personal as well as our corporate relationships with one another. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.